This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety 2023. There's still time to register for the free live stream of the Safety 2023 opening general session on June 5th, featuring Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Jimmy Yeary. You can find a link to register for the free live stream in the episode description. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today. As uh, construction gets into full swing across the country, we wanted to take some time to talk about one of the most common hazards in construction and how you can work to address them, and those are struck by incidents. Uh, these incidents are one of the leading causes of injuries and fatalities among construction workers. And uh, joining me today to share ways you can work uh, to prevent those incidents on your work sites is Carl Heinlein. Carl is a certified safety professional and senior safety consultant at the American Contractors Insurance Group. Carl, welcome. Great to be talking to you. Scott, thanks a ton. Uh, really appreciate the platform today to enable us to share some things that uh, are one of the uh, top four leading killers of construction workers on the job, struck by, and, and certainly the organization I work with. This is a very uh, high focus area for our contractors as well as contractors around the country. As you stated, we're getting ready to get into the really high season of construction around the country, particularly in the in the uh, the northern part that are starting to get up and running again. And, uh, you know, struck by is certainly a focus. Uh, a couple of weeks back, we had the uh, Work Zone uh, Safety Awareness Week, and struck by was a focus on that. Uh, as we talk about some of the questions today, I'll, I'll, I'll share some resources for the audience that they could take a look at to, to help with their programs as well. Great. Uh, let's dive in. Now, when we're, we're talking about struck by incidents, there are different categories. I know people think struck by it may, may sound obvious, but I wonder if we could start by kind of giving an overview of what struck by incidents are in the, the different categories of struck by. Sure. Great, great question. I will start with just a little statistical background is approximately 75% of the struck by fatalities in construction involve heavy equipment such as trucks or cranes. So kind of keep that in mind. But they're also uh, struck by uh, mobile equipment on your jobs, but also flying and falling objects, something we've got to consider as well, You know, particularly when we're stacking uh, contractors on a general building site or contractors in an internal work zone within a highway related or civil site. So again, vehicle related and falling and flying objects are really two that we should focus on today. Sounds good. Now, I, I know uh, something you talk about, I, I'm sure with, with any, you know, whether it's in a work zone or on a construction site, a lot of planning goes into, you know, any kind of construction project. So I wonder if we could, you know, talk about, you know, the planning phase and the role that plays in preventing these types of incidents. You know, you're, you're working with general contractors, subcontractors, facility owners, vendors, you know, the, the safety professional has their role. So, you know, as, as you're planning out your project, you know, what are the things all these different groups need to keep in mind to prevent these kind of things from happening? Gosh, Scott, uh, I, I got to tell you, this is, this is, uh, this is key in just about any uh, construction site. You know, you take a look at all the sports that, that are out there, you know, there's always pregame and preparation and practice and things of that nature. You know, that's the same that we should do in construction as well. That pre-planning 
And one of the keys is getting the right folks involved in that pre-planning. And then as you continue to develop your programs and procedure, that planning can't stop. It starts before you start the job and then during the job phase, bringing the right people together. Maybe your pre-job planning on the project, your job hazard analysis, during the day, maybe a uh, 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 during a break, having another conversation, your toolbox talks, your communication. One thing that we all deal with in construction is the changing of the workforce. We have a lot of folks that are retiring out. We have a lot of new people coming in and we have, uh, you know, a, a, a diverse workforce. So we have to make sure in that pre-planning, let's just talk about vehicles. Uh, one of the struck buys that we'll, we'll talk about is, you know, developing an internal traffic control plan. Where are subcontractors? Where are vendors? Where are trucking companies? Where we park the cars? Where you put the portage on? Those all may seem very simple, but they are always typically overlooked. So when you prepare those things to make it easy for people to understand where they should go, where they should be, that cuts down on confusion. And in safety, anytime there's confusion, boy, that creates that opportunity for an incident or an accident. So that's just internal with the vehicles. We also have to make sure we're, we're following the you know, manual for uniform traffic control devices to make sure the public as well as not entering our work zones. We had a terrible accident in Maryland about a month ago where six workers were killed. And that's, that's tragic, you know, and, and certainly there'll be some lessons learned out of that. We wanna make sure that the public, which now is driving and, and three things that, that make it even worse for our, our heavy civil folks in the, in the work zones are, Drivers are distracted, they are fatigued, and there is speed issues out there. So as we're defending our workers, protecting our workers, that MUTCD is to protect us from the public, which is, uh, is, is certainly a hazard for us, probably one of the greatest hazards we deal with. And then inside the work zone for our folks uh, in the, the heavy civil is you make sure we have an internal traffic control plan. Well, to make sure I don't overlook this is internal traffic control plans just are not for the heavy highway folks. They work just as good for our industrial contractors as well as our general building contractors. Where are you stacking things? Where are you moving? You know, having a flow and a coordinated effort for people to understand where to go, when to go, and all that stuff. That coordination, back to the original question, is, is key. Now, one more thing on the, on the pre-planning Let's talk about the second uh, struck by area that I wanted to focus on, and that's falling and flying objects. Again, the pre-planning of this is, is, is spectacular. And I've had the chance to not only travel the United States, but around the world and taking a look at how people protect job sites from falling objects. It's not just falling objects or flying objects to protect your own workforce, but it's also to protect the public. I mean, you take a look at downtown Chicago or New York or any city, where there's public that's in in, uh, in the working area, construction wants to be part of the, the process so that public still can go to work and school and go about their business and entertain, whatever it may be. So with that, we have to not only protect our workers inside the fence line or within the, the, the work zone, but also the public. And, and really that falling and flying objects, I think we've done a, a pretty good job of protecting that falling objects. You know, we have uh, protective barriers, we have screens, we have catch basins, things of that nature. But I think the flying object is one we're trying to take a little better look at. You know, 
Are we using lanyards? Are we using uh, protective barriers? Are we using exclusion zones? Uh, things of that nature for people to take a look at. I'll give you a, a case in point. You know, with this struck by incident area, you know, you'll see some of the statistics and I read them every week is people being struck by vehicles, but also, you know, it may be a, a cab of a crane or an excavator or something like that. So you're hearing more and more incidents of let's let's not use a spotter. Let's consider it. But let's have a uh, exclusion zone. Nobody can be within 20 feet of the piece of equipment. Well, you know, and, and, and really when we're taking a look at that, that's probably something that can happen. So again, it goes back to that pre-planning. Uh, one thing that I want to kind of just throw out for people to consider is, you know, this is a, a, a topic that's been a very big discussion within OSHA, within NIOSH, within the construction industry, uh, you know, and, and collaboratively, uh, the, the, the national research construction sector for NIOSH, uh, we've really taken a look at this struck by, and, and one of the things we're taking a look at is spotters. In many cases, when we see when the incidents are happening, it's the spotter. So we've got to take a look at the education. We've got to take a look at uh, some of the uh, the individual's experience and thing of that. And that goes back to the pre-planning. So hopefully that answered a couple of the questions on the pre-planning, but you can't start it without uh, a good pre-planning. And again, I, I use a sports analogy is, you know, there's not a sports team out there that doesn't do practice and pre-planning and things of that nature. And we shouldn't expect 100 uh, percent success. We only give 10 percent effort. Right. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned uh, spotters there. I know, you know, what, once you've done your planning, you know, there are so many folks out on the construction site with different responsibilities. But three uh, uh, you talk about are riggers, spotters and operators. I don't know if we kind of talk about, you know, the, the responsibilities of, of each of those on the on the construction site and, you know, the role they play in making sure, you know, every everything is moving smoothly on the work site to prevent these types of incidents. Well, I, I, again, is, is you know, we, we have to take a look and in, in holistically as a, a safety and health professional for 30 years in the construction industry and being from a, a family in construction. I mean, you know, everybody has an important role in construction. We cannot do it without each other. You know, the electricians need the drywallers, the drywall. They may not say that on the job, but to, to get to the final conclusion and to, to, to get to the end of the project, there has to be a lot of uh, synchronicity, coordination, and, uh, you know, everybody plays a key element. And and so you're talking specifically about the rigors. And again, when you take a look and we can go back and unfortunately, a lot of times in safety, we have to learn from the past. And so you have a crane operator, you have a rigger and you have a, a signal person. You know, and and, you know, they cannot work collectively when somebody's not on the same page. So the rigger has to make sure that they're rigging everything together properly the signal person has to make sure that they're signaling to the crane operator. In many cases, that that uh, crane operator may not even see where the lift is coming from. It may be a blind lift. Or even if it is, what is working around, how they're moving around, how the job is set up, how it's sequenced is, is, is key. So, again, back to your, your first question is pre-planning. The rigger, the signal person, you also talked about the spotter. Those are important issues in, in many times in, in our research and our conversation and in industry reviewing these things is we just don't spend enough time on particularly the spotter, making sure they have the education and understanding before they go out in that job. It's just not, hey, let's just throw you out in your spotter now and you're waving your hand and all that stuff. 
there's a lot of understanding of what's going on on the project, when things are coming, who's going to be there at a certain time, maybe when there's some supplies coming or a vendor. Those are important, in, in, you know, to, to help build the success of any employee to make sure that, you know, not only they're going home safe and healthy every day, but they're also taking some of these lessons and, and they're utilizing them in their home life as well, because everybody's got a, a project or working around. So, you know, that's at 24-7, 365. So back to your question again about the, the rigor. You know, these folks should be educated. They should be certainly supplied with the right tools. They should be able to, you know, use the stop work authority. I don't typically like that word a whole bunch. You hear it a lot in our industry. I think when you say stop to construction folks that like to get things done is uh, it's kind of a, a maybe a backward conversation. Maybe we should kind of take a look at an industry and I'm hearing this a little bit more is maybe we should switch it to the start work authority and, and get a little bit more positive spin on there. You know, before you start a baseball game or a football game or something like that, you take time out, then you go back in. So, uh, you know, kind of thinking that changing the narrative because words matter in our industry. So, you know, uh, riggers, operators, you know, the operators are the captain of the ship and what they say goes. And, uh, you know, they cannot do it without the signal person, the rigger and the operator. When you take a look at crane accidents and lifting related accidents around the uh, the world and, and, and over the decades, you'll see it's not always the operator. It's not always the rigor. It's not always the signal person. They have to work collaboratively. So I suggest to the listeners out there, there's a lot of re really good resources. Certainly ASSP has a great construction practice, especially with some of the best leaders in the industry. But, you know, your, your government agencies, OSHA, NIOSH have some wonderful things. Your operating engineers, the labor unions do some wonderful things as well. And then also your manufacturers, you know, don't overlook your manufacturers as a resource on that. And last but not least, since I'm in the insurance world that works with construction, you know, reach out to your insurance folks and your, your brokers. If they don't typically have the expertise internally, they can point you to those folks. So you have multiple resources out there and hopefully you don't uh, overlook some of those. And, you know, it's okay to ask questions because, uh, you know, when we don't ask those questions, that's when we get in trouble. So great question, Scott. Those three people are critical on any construction site. Something you mentioned there, you, talking about, you know, whether it's, you know, say the the spotter, for instance, and, you know, not just saying to somebody, you know, okay, you're going to be the spotter today. And as you mentioned at the beginning, the the construction workforce, you know, from, from day to day, you could have, you know, a lot of different people on the work site. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about what needs to go into the training and the education in each of these roles. So, you know, that everybody has the the, the knowledge they need to make sure everybody goes home safe at the end of the day. I couldn't be happier with this question because I think as an industry, again, there, I've seen a lot of comments out there is, you know, there's some things that are floating out in the, the, the conversations in industry is, you know, we want somebody to be at a hundred percent and yet we only give 10% effort on the, on the onboarding. And, and, and that's a shame. So no friend of mine, uh, Charlie Heflin, he, he, he gave me this quote and I, I think it's right on point is when you take a look at it's baseball season, if somebody can't hit the curveball, they're going to, you're going to get some batting practice. They're going to get coached up. They're going to spend some time and some, some efforts. And, and uh, I don't know if we do that enough in construction. 
we spend a lot of time, we put them through OSHA 10 hours and orientation, and then we put them to work. But are we evaluating them? Are we bringing them back in? Are we saying, hey, what's going on? Are we really checking to check to see if they learned? And, and that's a critical issue is just because I shake my head that I understand, do they really understand? So we're seeing a big push for the use of visuals, the use of graphics to make it easier for people to understand. Again, we've got a diverse workforce from age to experience to culture to race, things of that nature. And we've got to embrace that, not push back against it. So what are the tools we're using? Visuals, graphics, things of that nature. And there's a lot of studies out there that show, hey, that 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 helps people understand. But the onboarding and the training have to be almost ongoing. You know, it's I, I'm, I'm a I'm a big believer of you pay now, you pay later. And I think that training should be a ongoing thing. It should be a life lesson. The labor unions, our brothers and sisters in the trades, they don't put you out there in one minute. They put you through an apprentice program. Our folks in the open shop, they have opportunities in the construction industry to go to the NCCER, to go through a staggered year process to learn. And we should be doing that for our workers. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I think that the most challenging portion is time and comfort. You know, do we have the time to do it? Well, I think that if we have to have the time. If not, we'll pay later. You know, when we take a look at root cause analysis and things of that nature, we dive in deep. We see where there's issues about the people really didn't understand the processes or the procedures. And we don't feel comfortable to go to our leadership and say, hey, we need to bring them back out of the field and do another stand down, do a, an hour of training, you know, because we budget this. You know, we, we spend this amount of money. We're going to get the job done by this. We are trained in construction to get it done. But. We're going to get her done the wrong way if we don't have the people put in the right position to succeed. So it may not be a safety issue. It may be a quality issue that becomes a safety issue. It may be a production issue that becomes a safety issue. So a well-trained workforce. And when you take a look at these organizations out there and take a look outside of construction, let's take a look outside of construction. Some of the organizations around the world, they invest a ton of money into the training, mentoring, coaching, onboarding, ongoing training and education of their employees to succeed. And, uh, you know, that's an ongoing struggle, but it, it's something that, you know, folks in the construction industry, certainly safety and health folks, we try to continually put that in front of people as much as we can, because, you know, a trained workforce will go a long way. An untrained workforce is a, it's a it's a rear view mirror that says why are we doing the same thing and we keep doing it and keep doing it. we should be looking forward and you know one of the leading indicators of what are we doing as far as training and onboarding and mentoring and coaching and things of that nature so you know this is one that i get my hand slapped a lot of times you know we didn't budget for this well that's not my problem let's get on the front end and let's budget for it okay because if not you'll pay for it in the long run been around this too long you know, my feelings don't get hurt. I try to be as honest as possible. And this is where, you know, folks out there, when you take a look at training and education, one more thing on this is I, I, I highly recommend people take a look at some of the things that are out there in industry as far as training and education, because 
I've been doing training and education for a long time. And there's probably, I probably do great classes sometimes and I probably do terrible classes sometimes. I think that as trainers, we need to take a look at ourselves too. Have we changed our material up? Have we changed it for the class? Have we done it to individuals? Again, a sports analogy. If I can't kick the field goal, I'm going to have a coach next to me kind of coaching up. If I can't do the rigging right, I should probably have somebody coaching me up, right? Or maybe it's not the right job. So again, it's a two-way street here. We should be taking a look at our audience, but we should also as ourselves take a look at our trainers and challenge ourselves. Just because I trained last week this content doesn't mean the audience wants the same content next week. Something I think that goes hand in hand with the the training piece, well, and as well as the pre planning, is is the communication. I mean, conditions can change on a, on on a work site, on a construction site, you know, by by the minute. So, yeah, I imagine, I mean, for for contractors and others, you know, keeping an eye on on the on the work site, on the work that's being done, and seeing how you know, conditions are changing throughout the day and communicating that to to their workforce. I mean, you say, okay, we had a heavy rain last night, whatever it might be, we're going to start moving materials over here instead of over here. Kind of just the, the role of communication, you know, in both the pre-planning and throughout the project. Another great, great question. And, uh, you know, when you take a look at many, 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 many projects, well, you got to take a look at the construction as a whole, you know, I think statistics still bear we're a very small, um, you don't have a lot of very large organizations in construction that are over a thousand employees. Most of our folks are under 100 employees, most are under 40. A lot are brothers, friends, cousins, things of that nature that are placed in construction. So, you know, but in, in many cases, you have multiple people working around you. And, and in those cases, it's critical, critical. To have those communication. I mean, pre-planning, communication, I think they go hand in hand because construction sites are dynamic. They change every day. In many cases, they change every minute. A weather condition, a shortage of a, a supplier, a truck didn't get there, or we have a workforce that got called to another job site, or a superintendent is out for the day. You know, those little things may not seem very big, but what we're kind of taking a look at is precursors. We're seeing those as precursors to incidents that can happen. So specifically to communication is, again, I go back to, you know, we've got to do a better job of making sure people understand our communication. It's great that somebody talks to me, but if I'm in an office and not on the job site, how does my message get boiled down to the, to the field? So uh, we really push our folks that are in the trailers and we do a lot of surveys and the people in the field are like, why don't you come out in the field and take a look at it? Maybe you'd make a better decision, a more timely decision. So communication, get out of the job trailer for the supervisors, the young engineers, the old engineers, get out to the project. The other thing is with subcontractors, make sure you're communicating with the right people and make sure they understand it. You know, so coordinated meetings, again, time and comfort. Are we going to spend some time to sit down and have a meaningful meeting? Or are we just going to kind of blow by and say, hey, you got to do this right now? And a lot of times we're worried about our time. So we're like, hey, get that done. And is the message received? Is it understood? So that's an ongoing issue that's been on construction since they were building the pyramids. Who understands what and who are we talking to and who's going to make sure it's communicated properly? So I think technology, 
I think that uh, that that is certainly helping to make things in a timely manner, particularly to uh, the field supervision and stuff. It's 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 not across all construction, but some of the you know larger construction companies and and people that have put some time and effort into technology, you're seeing you know change orders and things of that nature transmitted across all the contractors quicker. So I think there's an opportunity with that, but we will always have people working in construction. We still have to get back to that one-on-one communication of, Hey, Scott, Hey, Carl and the team, we're going to be uh, working on the third floor today because we didn't receive the material, you know, just want to make sure you're update on that. And uh, you know, that's, I think that the construction industry, we are really good in the, in the hard skills building things, digging things, putting things in place. I think those communication skills are ones that uh, hopefully organizations are spending time on in their coaching, training, mentoring type of thing, because, you know, those soft skills are critical in the success of a project. And, you know, when you have a 70-year-old supervisor that's been around for a while that still smokes cigarettes and chews tobacco and cusses and hadn't gone through a whole bunch of HR training, to somebody that's uh, 19 coming onto the job that's been uh, playing video games and hasn't built a treehouse and doesn't know how to fix a tire, not saying they're bad, just different different eras. So how do we communicate that they understand correctly? So seeing a lot of organizations spend a lot of time and, and effort on that, that you know, the, the communication. And again, I encourage everybody that's listening to this call to take a real close look at visuals, graphics, to make sure people understand instead of trying to give them a lot of words. It just, it just doesn't work. It just does not work. Something you talked about earlier. Uh, one particular aspect of struck by is the, the flying and falling objects. And it seems like a big part of that would be, you know, going back to communication, effective communication about material handling and storage. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to learn more about that because I mean, there's so much, so many different materials, so much equipment on, you know, whether it's in a work zone or construction site, like making sure that, you know, throughout the, throughout the day that all the, that those things are, you know, being handled and stored properly. So, you know, they're not in danger of hurting somebody else, including, as you mentioned, the, the public, if you know, you're on working on a scaffold on a, on a skyscraper, for example, making sure that those materials are being handled properly throughout the day and then stored properly, you know, at the end of the day, just make sure they don't pose, pose a hazard to another worker or a member of the public. Oh, it's, it's a great, great, great question again. So, so, you know, flying and falling objects is an issue that when you kind of think about it, boy, it comes in a lot of different aspects. You know, uh, you can have a vendor that's coming in that's dropping off supplies that is unloading it off a truck that can roll off its piping or its its lumber or whatever pool it is. There could be a flying or falling object exposure to that. When people are pushing things or, or, or prying, those are opportunities well for flying objects. So again, when we're kind of taking a look, it goes back to our pre-planning of working with the owner. We're never going to get all the space that we want. Very few jobs get as much lay down yard and coordination as we want. You know, if you're working in a city or you're working within the confines of a property line or something like that, or a highway job or an industrial job, typically, you, you know, maybe it's a lucky day and you have a, a lot of storage area for all your your stuff, but as well as the subs, if you have a bunch of subs working with you and vendors. But let's just play it with most jobs. You don't have a lot of space to store things. So now you've got to figure out sequencing and cadence of bringing things in. 
And that is a coordinated effort that goes on months, perhaps even years before the project happens. I mean, we're building a beautiful brand new airport in, in, in Pittsburgh, no runways, but a new terminal and things of that nature. And, you know, this has been in, in planning for years. And when you take a look at the complexity of things that they're doing and, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, the cadence, the coordination, the communication is critical for success. I can't be lifting steel when I'm working underneath, you know, putting in some uh, duct work. There has to be some coordination of that. And, you know, coordination also means timing. And so the better coordinated you are, and there's always construction, we always have to figure there's going to be a, uh, a time change or a delay or something goes on. So the flexibility of understanding that we have to be able to manipulate and be good adjusters. There's one thing that I love about construction. There's many things, but one that I love about it, we are problem solvers. We're going to figure it out. So back to the question of, of material handling and things of that nature. There's a number of things that go into this. And I, I want to go to probably something that, uh, that, that that was brought to my attention early on in my career. And I still use it today. And, and I think it's it's key is, is the hierarchy of controls. You know, hey, can we eliminate it? Can we eliminate people being around there? Can we do some sort of modular development of it so we don't have to, you know, do all this work at the job? You know, you work your way down all the way to PPE, the last line of employee defense. So when we're talking about falling and flung objects. Hey, let's take a look at the risks that they pose. How can we use prevention through design or the hierarchy of controls? Let's reduce the exposure. So kind of getting in the heads of the architects, getting in the heads of the owner, getting in the heads of the project managers and engineers. What can we do to just eliminate it? And you can always utilize, hey, it's going to be higher production, better quality, things of that nature. So, A, that's one of the things. But if you are doing material handling, again, let's make sure the people that are involved in that process understand what the hazards are. You just don't show up and cut a band. You just don't jump on a, you know, a powered industrial truck and you move some things over. Are there pathways? Are there are places to store things? How far do you stack them up? How do you keep them away from the electrical lines? Things of that nature. And again, you know, are we using color code to help people out? Are we making sure that people are qualified and educated on the equipment that they're using? And then we can get down to just the material handling where I'm carrying something physically. Why are we doing that by ourselves? Can we use a team lift so we're not getting strains and sprains? Again, this all gets back to education, comfort, pre-planning to make sure that we have the right uh, person power on the job, to make sure we have the right tools to do it. You know, and again, is, is, you know, getting our workforce to understand that, you know, uh, I, I work with an individual at an executive leadership uh, level. And the first question he asks everybody, hey, how are you doing? Hey, is there anything that we could provide you? You, you need any tools? You need any resources? Man, and, it, it, and he follows through with that. And it may be as simple as, you know, it'd be great if we got an extra card out on the job site or, hey, you know, I saw these guys using the ladder. Did you kind of look into it? And in most cases, they're going to do some investigation and find out if it's something that's going to be worthwhile, but they're listening, they're communicating. So again, back to material handlings, you know, it's something we do each and every day. It could be from a mud bucket to lumber all the way up to steel. Those are things we can't overlook and they've got to be planned amongst everybody that's working with it, but around it as well. Are we going to have some sort of uh, exclusion zone? Are we have a controlled access zone? Are we going to have people that aren't stacking above or below us 
or side to side with it so we're not putting any people in danger of that falling or flying object. So great question. And, you know, again, some wonderful resources out there through ASSP, OSHA, not only at the federal level, at the state level, uh, NIOSH, and then certainly, you know, your operating engineers, laborers, your trade, uh, your, your, your labor unions in construction have some wonderful stuff out there. Another group is the CPWR. And one other resource I would suggest as well is uh, the Electronic Library of Construction, Occupational Safety and Health. It is just people putting information in there that's typically vetted. There's photos in there for your training, but there's other information in there that really can, can help you out. And again, we're dealing with struck buys, which is, you know, again, one of the top four killers of construction workers on the job site each and every year. You know, I worked in Washington, D.C. 20 some years ago. And it hasn't changed. And that that's a uh, shame on us. We've got to do a better job. Yeah, definitely encourage folks to take a look at those resources. Uh, anything else uh, you'd like to add? I would be missing something if I wouldn't suggest that uh, our team at ASSP has done a wonderful job and certainly has uh, led the ANSI A10 standards. And I would encourage you to take a look at those. There are some wonderful resources in there that address struck buys. Uh, that have put together, been put together by industry uh, experts uh, in a voluntary capacity that are, are user-friendly. Uh, they're updated on a regular basis. And again, these are uh, people from management, from labor, from academia, from vendors. And these are truly resources that I encourage our contractors at ACIG to utilize. Because again, we're, we're in the business to try to reduce incidents, injuries, help productive jobs, help quality. And, uh, you know, I know ASSP has been a leader in these uh, and being the secretariat for the ANSI A10 standards, amongst others. But I would encourage the listeners, if you don't have a chance, and maybe, Scott, you kind of give a link to them. The A10 construction and demolition standards are, uh, they are certainly a, a wealth of knowledge and if you're struggling a little bit, they can help you get uh, up and running on your programs and they can help you with your struck by incidents, not only for uh, motorized equipment, uh, but uh, cranes and in, in, in vehicles, as well as your flying and in, in, in falling objects. Uh, indeed, the A10 standards are a great resource. I encourage uh, folks uh, to take a look at those. They cover uh, a wide range of uh, construction and demolition related topics and can be uh, uh, really helpful in, in improving your program. So uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Carl. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. These things are so important for anybody that's involved in you know, work zone work and construction uh, to, to think about. So uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate the opportunity to share some of our thoughts and uh Everybody have a great day out there and uh, uh, be careful. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time. 